So hello everyone. Welcome to Ask Avo's third podcast episode. This is our first Zoom episode. So that's super exciting. Uh, today we have really cool and special guests here, which they'll just introduce themselves. And for our episode today, we are going to talk about gender roles and issues uh, related to gender within the Hmong community. So I'm gonna pass it to either one of you can take the mic. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Mining. Um, I go by she, her new pronouns. Um, I am a PhD student at UW-Madison um, in the Educational Policy Studies program. Um, yeah, well, today for my avocado-related st stuff, <laughs> I'm um, scraping avocados to freeze because my avocados are going bad. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Hello, everyone. My name is Lily Lee. Uh, my pronouns um, following after my name are she, her, news. And um, I currently am a fourth year at Mary University of Wisconsin, I'm majoring elementary to middle in special ed with a minor in Spanish. Um, the best way that I like to eat my avocados is sprinkling salt and pepper on them and just eating them straight out. So pretty original like that. And I forgot to introduce myself, but... Um, my name is Jenny Tam, pronouns she, her, hers, and I like my avocado just like whole, and then there's like a little hole once you pick, take out the pit, and I like putting or filling that hole with sugar. That's really good. You should try Cool. Okay, so... Hey, oh, sorry. I forgot. I just realized I forgot to say how I like to eat my avocados. Um, I like to mix them with um, eggs, so like an egg salad, but without the mayo. So like I use the avocado as the mayo, which actually it's really good too. So if y'all ever want to try that and you can sprinkle some salt and pepper if you want a little seasoning in there, but otherwise I just eat avocado mixed with the eggs and put it in bread and it's amazing. <laughs> that also sounds like really healthy. Like really healthy. <laughs> cool. All right, so um, this is a really interesting topic and it might be helpful if we actually start off with like talking about who the Hmong community is. Um, so anyone of y'all can start. Um, I guess I can explain a little bit. Um, I think feel free to like fill in some more info, but um, the Hmong community is, well, let's start off with who the Hmong are. So the Hmong are a um, group that um, taken refuge into the United States from the Vietnam War. Um, let's see, we've been here for about 45 years and um, our origins are mostly like mostly originated in China. So <clears throat> we have a very distinct and unique culture um, I like to think in comparison to like um, other APIDA community, um, APIDA identities as well. Um, see, my name, if you would like to add more <laughs> context, I'm totally like, no, I, I mean, I think like as a, as a really brief rundown, right? I think you did a great job because I, um, oftentimes when we do think about Hmong Americans, we um, are, and we think about the history of Hmong Americans, our, our history kind of um or we talk about history beginning the moment that like um 
the U.S. kind of entered into our lives, right? But of course, we've existed for hundreds and thousands of years before that. Um, and like you said, in China, right? And then um, we have been um, in the Southeast Asian um, region for a really long time before the Vietnam War and the Indochina Wars. Um, and yeah, so now we're here and we've been here and yeah, I, I think we have a lot of um, common experiences as other Asian American groups, um, but I think it's interesting in that um, as Southeast Asian Americans, we also um, have uh, experiences that are very unique um, to our communities um, as like the Khmer um, or um, even like um, uh, Lao or Vietnamese communities as well. So. Cool. Thank you for that. So the first question that we have here is pretty general broad, just to like lay down the premise. Um, who instills and maintains gender roles? Uh, who sets those standards in the context of like the Hmong community? I think in terms of <clears throat> who um, endorses and maintains gender roles is a lot the elders more specifically um and more specifically of course like the men or the patriarchy that is in our culture maintaining the gender roles is um, most importantly maintained by a lot by our mothers or sisters or aunts um upon girls um in terms of setting these standards yeah i i think that's a really important point um, Lily, that you brought up about how um, it is oftentimes also um, maintained by women, right? It's, um, it is, and that, like, I, I feel like a lot of the, I guess, gender, the gendered roles, right, that we hold within our communities um, are kind of set by the patriarchy, but they're continuing to be perpetuated and upheld by everyone, not just men, but um, women within the community. And I think sometimes for a lot of women, um, at least I think in, when I think about um, women in my life, um, a lot of women um, who um, teach their daughters how to do certain things, right? Like how to be, um, how to do things like a, a nya, right? So anybody who is um, considered or is female um, um, presenting, um, they're they're considered to be a daughter. They are also, they're um, then taught kind of how to like do these duties that are expected of a nya or a daughter-in-law um, ever since they are young, right? And um, and I think for uh, some of our mothers, that's kind of their way of teaching us how to um, exist and um, navigate this kind of patriarchal world that we were brought into. Um, so I think in some ways that's, I think that it's not, for a lot of them, it's not that they think that they're doing that to oppress us. They actually think that they're teaching us how to survive um, within this world. And I think that's an important context to think about. Um, and, and I often think about that because um, I think as like, um, you know, younger uh, Hmong women, we often think about how repressive the Hmong community can be. Um, and, and while that is very true, right, um, that we can't, but we can't also, um, we can't also use the standards of white feminism to understand the lived experiences that our mothers, our aunties, our grandmas um, also um, operate from, right? And I, um, there was a mentor that, um, of mine that had once said, um, and I, I think this is really powerful, but she said, um, you know, the Hmong term, um, right? Which is that, um, is like the, that the grandmas have done. And then is like, uh, that the grandpas have, um, 
have um, laid down, right, or done to, it's essentially the same thing, just a different way to say it. Um, but she said, but you know, we are going to be the future Pa and Yo, the future grandmas and grandpas. And so we have the ability to change how things will be for our children. Because the Pao is basically essentially this idea that gender and everything within our society and our Hmong communities, it's all constructed, right? It's constructed, it's created by people. So it can also be changed by people. Um, and it can also be, um, and we can change the future for our children and our children's children. And so I think that's a hopeful way to um, look at it and to think about how we move forward as young people right also in addition to like having that understanding as well that there were different expectations and living styles correct how our elders used to live when they were younger was often based on survival right farming um, livestock especially with the community versus now now that we assimilated in like American culture you know the expectations to or like the skills that we need is very much different and existing in American culture and community today. Yeah, thank you both for saying that. I feel like that was a really good point about like survival and I, I'm not Hmong, um, but thinking in the context of like my family or like my lived experience, how there's like trauma from like the ways that my parents have grown up and the lack of, I guess like thinking about gender is a luxury a little bit. And it's something that we have like, the space and time and a little bit of the privilege to do that like I think our parents never had and so in that way I think though there's harm perpetuated it's like partly informed by the trauma and it's cool that we're like healing as we like get further like as the generations um, advance I guess or like we're 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 healing as generations are coming or, or like as we develop future generations and so the next question takes the uh, Hmong narrative, but then ties it and looks at it through the Asian American lens. So how does the racialization of Asian Americans impact the way that the Hmong community slash Apita community thinks about gender roles? And how does that then inform the way that we perform gender expectations? I think there's this like conflict you know, among youth in the PETA community, you know, first we have to learn like our identities as a person of the PETA community and also being American enough, you know. I think there's just like two huge different expectations set, like based on gender roles, both in American culture and our PETA culture. I think I know that for me that I experienced that as well. Um, everyone experiences this. Um, when it comes to performing gendered expectations, right? So I know in media often a lot and also in American culture, you know, like Asian or PETA men are considered not as masculine while having to maintain like cultural like expectations as well, you know? So, um, and as well, there's this um, huge fetishization of Asian women, right? Um, being submissive. Um, because a lot, like in, in the Hmong culture as well, you know, we have to do everything that the male says because of that patriarchy, you know, um, being existent there. So there's this whole like submissive quality that's like liked a lot about Asian women. So 
I don't know if my name you want to add on. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that um, the ways that uh, Asian American men and women have been kind of racialized in kind of this um, American imagination, I guess, um, it, it, it really, I, I guess I'm, I'm also trying to think about like how we, because um, I'm thinking about, okay, like, you know, the narrative and the racialized narrative that we have about Asian women is that they are submissive. But sometimes, like most of the Asian women that I know are like some of the most badass women ever, right? And so it's like, you know, and that's like of all the women I know, right? Like Asian women are some of the most badass and they are super strong. And and I think, um, and I, and I don't, and I don't say that to say that like, um, it's not okay to be submissive, right? Because I think everyone's just trying to navigate their survival in this society, in this world, and we do it in different ways. And I think that's okay. Um, but I think that um, when we are up against this kind of dominant narrative about who we are, um, it, it doesn't leave a lot of room for us to be able to um, actually share our real lived experiences. And, and I think especially like, and I'm and I'm thinking about how um, um, with regards to uh, Hmong women specifically, but like I've always kind of seen Hmong women as like people who are who are always because of all the um, trauma that we've had we've had to endure like from the wars and but also like the patriarchal trauma and all of that. Like I feel like Hmong women are always figuring out ways to survive, and and I and I think um, and I'm thinking about like even during this pandemic, right? Like um, a lot of Hmong families have um, come across um, a lot of financial hardship. And so, but like you see on Facebook, right? Like all the Facebook lives, all these Hmong women entrepreneurs, right? And it's like Hmong women are always finding ways to um, support their families and trying to, um, um, they're always trying to figure out ways for their families to like be able to make it. And, and I think that's so cool. Um, and I think about how like, even in refugee, in the refugee camps, right? Like Hmong women were, um, they realized that, hey, maybe if we start doing story cloths, we can actually um, make some money if we send it to the US, right? So they, um, they were doing that. And I think during that time too, right? Like Hmong men were actually helping um, the ones that weren't like doing other things, they were helping in the household with like sewing. And um, so I know a lot of women that actually know how to sew from that time in the refugee camp because they actually helped their their wives or their um, their mothers, right? With um, making these um, like um, not just story class, but like bandal, like other um, other embroidery stuff, right? And so, and that, that wasn't seen as like unmanly and I don't think that they thought of it as unmanly until they came to the U.S. and all of a sudden it's like emasculate, right? For for them to do embroidery because that's considered such a um, quote feminine um, thing to do. And so I think that in the context of like us trying to survive, like I, you're right, like you're to your point earlier, Lily, about how like we're just figuring out ways to survive and that we're not constantly thinking about how things are. Um, make us less of a man or less of a woman until we actually enter into a space that make us think that way because it's telling us certain narratives about ourselves that then make us hate ourselves or that make us believe that we actually are um how do you say it like it, it these narratives make us believe that that's actually what our community is like right um and then we try to fight it right and so it's like 
yeah, I, I mean, maybe I'm just rambling a lot, but <laughs> but those are kind of my thoughts, right? About about like how um, racialization and and colonialism, and also how um, yeah, how gender all kind of intersect um, for our communities. Yeah, yeah. Like I know for a fact, there's like a lot of dialogue too, like the difference between like among American women versus, you know, a woman from the homeland or like Laos or Thailand, right? The different attitudes. I think there was a huge fear. Like as soon as we came here, you know, we got taught like, you know, that aspect of thinking, like what is masculine, what is feminine, what it's acceptable for a man to do versus acceptable for what a woman should do. And there was this fear that um, perhaps like, a lot of the men will like lose a lot of control in terms of the household right so um as like you know there's a lot of cool women being entrepreneurs and being independent there's also that like fear of like I guess that expectation that was set by the community correct which led to like a lot of like a lot of like it would segue a lot into the violence um which is unfortunately happening in the community and a lot of limelight on the mental health that's on a lot of youth especially which really really got me shook because you know like I known like I just like know about students who are like younger than me or like a lot of the students that my brothers and sisters had known who you know like unfortunately had like taken their lives because of these like expectations or because of what the community standards are um could you say more about that um like the um how it's how the standards are affecting young people's mental health i think especially among the Hmong, there is like uh youth especially in the community there is a lot of um young people who are identifying as lgbtq correct but um it's still like a reoccurring theme that's like very new especially among the community and the elders specifically, there's a lot of negativity, you know, um, being called too feminine or too masculine, um, a wannabe, or it's like kind of taboo, correct? So I know there was a student in the city that's like only two or three younger than me, or years younger than me. And unfortunately, they committed suicide um, because of of course, there were probably a lot of other factors within the family dynamic, but, um, you know, that conflict of identity, you know, and basically knowing that you won't necessarily be accepted in that close-knit community that you have or, like, that community that you have, I think it's very scary among the youth and also a lot of pressure, especially the youth. And also, in addition to, you know, the scary violence that's being put upon uh, families or like based on these expectations. I know in Appleton, there was this um, murder suicide. I'm from Appleton, Wisconsin. So it was very shocking for our family because they lived only a couple houses away from us. So um, it was very. Yeah. Um, I think, um, wow. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, right? Like I, I think, um, well, I guess something I do want to touch on um, with regards to what you had shared there was is the issues regarding like our LGBT um, QIA plus um, uh, brothers and sisters, right? Like, I think um, 
it's hard when we think about gender roles and gender issues as kind of existing within a binary, right? And there's only room for um, female presenting or male presenting folks. And so folks who are gender non-conforming or folks who are trans, right, especially, um, and really anybody who has, um, who um, identifies as part of the LGBT community, um, I think, um, there's really no space to for for them to see themselves existing within kind of the, that like very binary understanding of gender and 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 especially in a community where we don't often talk about these things. Um, and I, yeah, and and I and I think even like if we think about our rituals and our practices um, and some of the things that are done, like if you are a woman an understanding of how things how rituals are done for if you are a man right or what people think of as a man um there are certain understandings about how um, things are done for you and oftentimes maleness and femaleness gender right um is attached to sex um and um and sexual organs of how someone uh, was when they were born and um and i think and i don't think that um and i think that it is possible for our rituals to um change in order for it to be inclusive of um, folks who are non or gender non-conforming or trans um, but I I don't know like that right now in our community that currently exists and I and I hope that moving forward we do continue to think about how to create a world that is a better world for all of us but especially for like our um, trans and queer um, brothers and sisters because I think um, I think for um, a lot of um, I mean, for all of us, right? Like we all just want to live in a world where we feel loved and accepted and safe. Um, and we currently live in a world where that's not possible for everybody. Um, so I often think about how, how, how do we create a world that is where that is possible? And I think oftentimes that's a world that is different from the world we live in, which is this like um, cis, hetero, um, like racist, white supremacist, uh, patriarchy right that we this is the this is the world that we currently live in and in order to really build a world that's better for everyone um we need to kind of dismantle dismantle all of these different things um capitalists yeah i forgot to say that but right like we need to dismantle um, these systems that um currently exist in order to be able to live in a world where everybody is free um and and i think um yeah I, yeah sorry i'm kind of rambling again but I, I think that, um, yeah, so I think the patriarchy plays a huge role in um, in the ways that um, we feel we can or can't exist. And I think for, um, for um, even for cishet um, women, right, Hmong women, um, it feels really um, limiting in terms of like how the patriarchy is, um, I guess controlling our moves, but also controlling who we can or can't be, um, and um, you know, connecting it back to the murder suicides you're talking about. I think for a lot of men, it's that's that is the ultimate control for them, right? Like killing somebody, um, um, murder is the ultimate control because if you if you want to have control over somebody and you can't control them, what is one thing you can do? You threaten them with death, right? And actually, sometimes you follow through with death um, because that is in this um, patriarchal society, that is the ultimate control. Um, so, yeah. 
and like I even think that patriarchy also like harms a lot of the boys and men as well um not saying that all men or like boys are like terrible or like they they uphold this but they have like also equally a lot of immense pressure especially from the elders so yeah keep me in mind that they're also victims of this too because again there there are a lot of like elements of like toxic masculinity that's like exhibited from you know the men that this is the way we think like we do things this is how things should be done this is like the type of attitude you should uphold but you know like there isn't like also a safe outlet for them to like express their emotions and feelings in the community absolutely i think patriarchy hurts everyone and i think um and that's the thing is like when Hmong feminists and really actually like any feminists talk about breaking down patriarchy, right? Because we know patriarchy exists within every community in this world, right? That it's not unique to Hmong communities. It's not unique to Asian American communities. Um, it is, it is, it exists within almost every society in this world. And um, so, but when, when um, feminists talk about dismantling patriarchy, I think a lot of men get all upset because they think that that's that, um, that means we want to get rid of men, right? And it's like, well, patriarchy isn't synonymous with men. Patriarchy is this much larger system that our world has been built around and with, right? Um, and so it's, when we're talking about patriarchy, we're not talking about attacking men, we're talking about attacking this larger system, and that men are also, uh, you know, um, as you, you know, using your language, like victims of, right? Like we are all victims of patriarchy and how do we work together instead of thinking about it as like men versus women, right? In this gender binary world, right? And so, yeah, I, I think that's really important to bring up that it it is something that we all need to work together to dismantle, not just something that we as women and queer folks like who see these things as issues that we need to dismantle. Yeah, thank you both. I really appreciate all those points, especially thinking about like how patriarchy is harmful for everyone and patriarchy puts power onto men. So they have also this power to perpetuate harm onto other genders. Um, I guess like you y'all already talked on like um, how it reinforces like a more binary gendered system. The following question is how does gender roles affect relationships we have with others and um, ourselves? But I also wanted to add, my name, you talked about creating I think you talked a little bit about like abolition, right? Like abolishing patriarchy and recreating and re, um, re-envisioning what that means for us. And so I think we talk a lot about that and would like in uh, social justice work, but I wanted to hear like between the two of you, how does that look like? Like how would that look like um, if we were to apply that to our lives or like to the near future? I think for me from like my lens, dismantling patriarchy would look a lot like well a lot of it would have to start at the home correct so I think breaking those gender roles in a way because in our society we treasure a lot the boys and and the men but I think it would be great if there's a moment where we prioritize or celebrate a lot more of the women in our families in our community Um, also being 
open to having like a like having that older figure who can like in a way dismantle this so like having fathers talk a lot more about their feelings that it's okay to express emotions and talk about your emotions supporting a lot of the independent entrepreneur women out there as well I think having this start at the home would be how I would see it or see it being done yeah that's a really big question (laughs) Um, and I think right too right that um, we often talk about abolishing things um, in our social justice work, and there's not a lot of concrete ways for us to um, uh, think about how those things can materialize. Um, and I, so I think for, for me, I think about where violence starts, right? Um, and as a Hmong woman, I feel like violence started um, for me ever since I, even before I was conceived, right? Like, um, and, and, I, and I say that because, um, you know, we have um, within Hmong communities, there there are like medicine, chua, right, for to um, to determine the gender of your baby, right? Um, and oftentimes, people are searching for the medicine that will um, make sure that they have a son, right? Or especially as a firstborn, I'm a firstborn, so um, and my, I mean, thankfully, my parents um, weren't searching for that when I was born. They were just, they were just glad to have a baby, right? But I think um, that was a really big thing. I remember even like for um, our third sibling, um, my my whole family was like worried that we wouldn't have any um, boys in the family. And so I remember after my sister was born, um, and my parents were thinking about having before we came to the U.S. Like before my when my parents were still thinking about. Um, having another child, like I remember my gram, my grandma, my on my my paternal side, um, uh, you know, like trying to look for medicine to make sure that the next child was going to be a son, right? And so, um, so I think for a lot of us, right, like um, that violent article violence starts before we're even conceived, and so I think like we have to really start, there's a lot of places to start, but for me, I'm thinking about where, um, how we can start to dismantle these things in very concrete ways. And I think that's one, one way, right. Is what, what is it about our desire to have boys, right. That, that make us, um, search so hard for medicine or for ways to make sure that our child that we conceive is going to be a boy. Um, and then even, even after birth, right. Like where our placenta is buried, it, if it's a um, if it's a um, if it's a child with um, you know, reproductive part, right? That placenta is buried outside the home or, or under the bed. Um, and then um, if it's a child that is born with male reproductive parts, that child is buried under the um, main pole of the house, right? And so. So it's, and so it's like, but then what about, you know, I, I wonder a lot is like, what about intersex children, right? Um, children who are born with both reproductive parts, like how, how do they determine where they put the placenta, right? And I've, I've always wondered this, but like, because I, I know that there are Hmong folks who are born as intersex children, babies, right? And so it's like, I'm sure that existed before we came to the US. So I wonder where their placentas are buried, but also, um, so it's like these very gendered ways that we do things um, and that we then like, and if you force, if let's say you bury a, an intersex child as one or the other, right? That's that's violence towards their bodies. It's almost like, it's almost like the ways that um, 
Western medicine, how they alter um, and like surgically alter um, these babies to have certain parts, right? Um, I feel like that that is a spiritual violence for um, interested folks, right? Of like, we're just gonna decide that you're gonna be a boy. So we're gonna bury your placenta here, right? Um, so, and maybe that's not how they decided it, I don't know, but um, I, so I, I think about that um, as well, like who we decide gets to be buried where and then what they hold within our culture, right? And how they hold the spiritual world and, and our world um, because of who they are um, as their sexual reproductive systems exist, right? So yeah, so I think that's a very basic place to start is like dismantling the ways that we think about gets to hold what as, as boys or girls, right? Um, and then how we raise them because we also know that um, because of these gender roles, right? Like anybody who um, is born um, with female reproductive parts are, um, are then socialized as a girl and they are then expected to do all these different things that girls are expected to do. Um, and they're treated as if they're gonna go marry a, a Hmong man, right? Um, and so they need to be taught these things as if they're gonna go marry a Hmong man. Um, and not not having any regard really for whether or not they're even wanting to be with the Hmong man, right? And same with um, the Hmong boys, like they are then kind of pushed into this um, certain way of being or allowing them to do certain things um, that girls are not allowed to do, but then also being told that they are, if they don't marry a Hmong woman and if they choose not to marry, right? That they are not a real man, right? Um, so yeah, so all of those things, but yeah, so I, I think just at the very basic level, like those things, um, are some of the things that we can like start to dismantle and think about, okay, how do we get rid of these practices that are very harmful? Um, how do we get rid of the ways that we, um, perpetuate violence against our children, um, before they're even, cause you know, they're not born gendered. We gender them as society, as a community. Right. And so, um, so I think that's yeah just going way back to the basics but um i think that's the place to start so yeah sorry jenny that's a really big question <laughs> and i yeah so i that's that's one of the ways i'm thinking about it <laughs> yeah if i could also add like i guess it isn't just for the mon community more so like gender at large or dismantling systems in general i think that there's a few things that has to happen before the imagining part or the envisioning part even happens and a lot of that is like listening listening when someone tells you that they are in harm and that they're hurt because I feel like something about like accountability and like accepting that we as humans we make mistake and we hurt people is like really hard for some people to do and like I think it's important for us to just like listen because I think a lot of the times like collectively we talk about what we want our futures to be all the time we talk about how we want to be treated all the time. I think we know how we want to be treated. And I think as a collective, if we just like listen to each other more, that we could create that future, but it requires all of us. And I think the other piece of it is like recognizing that just like doing a lot of reflection and questioning, like, as you were saying, do these tradition are these tradition um it might have helped in the past for us all to survive but does it serve us anymore 
is it serving us anymore? Is it harming us? And like allowing us, like taking the courage to, sorry, is there like <laughs> laughing in the back? I'm so sorry. Um, is there, are we allowing ourselves and being courageous in, and vulnerable and like allowing ourselves to change those traditions and also reflection reflection on like if have we internalized patriarchy because I know personally I'm like for women all the way and I think that there's still so many ways that patriarchy shows up in the littlest of comments in the littlest of ways um like for example for me like going into spaces and like um lowering my voice if I want to take it, like it's a, it's a survival tactic. And at the same time, maybe I can reframe in my mind that I can, my voice can show up however, and it should still be respected. But yeah. Is there anything y'all want to add before we end? No, but I just want to reiterate, just think that's really, really important, right? Like I think in order for us to be able to transform our world, we definitely need to do some critical self-reflection. Right. Like, um, cause you're right. Like we have also internalized some of these, um, like harmful, um, thought patterns and harmful behaviors. And it is so important for us to be reflective of that and, um, think about our own actions. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to read that point cause that is such an important point. Exactly. When you said, um, Jenny, when you said, um, I lower my voice, like another thing for me that I do too, like that sparked something in me, a habit of mine as a survival tactic is I apologize. I apologize a lot for like the smallest little things and it it kills me whenever I do it. And then like whenever I do something, like it's the smallest, tiniest thing that I just instantly have to apologize over and over again for like a huge, like, and totally unnecessary. But um, yeah, like another thing that I read, you know, trying to reframe as a woman is to say thank you for in, in substitutes to saying sorry. But yeah, I, I totally agree with listening because although a lot of points were covered, like in no way that's only like a limited view versus like a lot of other individuals in the community who can share a lot more insight. But um, being reflective as a person, being able to listen versus I guess speaking for everyone as a whole um, and reflecting again like those tiny little things like apologizing all the time (laughs) to um, really see where we internalize um, patriarchy. Thanks Lily for sharing and I think it's a community effort like we work on board together, right? And I think something that I can do to support you is when you do apologize, I can respond by saying, um, there's nothing that like, uh, there's, you have nothing to apologize for or something to affirm you or like encourage you because I, I think this work is so hard alone and I don't think it should be done alone. And I think that those are ways that we can like learn to support each other. Thank you both so much for doing this podcast. Um, it was amazing. And I felt like I learned so much and was deeply inspired by the both of you. Um, yeah is there any last words or anything else that you both would want to share um like i don't know if y'all are working on any projects that you would like to share and promote anything like that anything at all no uh but thank you jenny and lily for this opportunity to come on the podcast um i've really enjoyed um chatting with you both and i've actually also learned a lot from you too so thank you both so much for this opportunity um and also now my avocado is ready for um 
<laughs> it's guac now, I guess, but it's ready to be frozen. <laughs> so thanks for the opportunity and the time for me to be able to do that. <laughs> it looks so good. It literally looks so good. Other than to support Masu, of course, um, look out for um, any future projects in the future. Um, also, question, Manning, you have published work, correct? Do you want to elaborate more about that? I was trying yes. to <laughs> Um, Yes, I have a book um, that is published. It is called um, Deixe From My Liver to Yours. Um, and uh, it is a book of poetry, um, although the introduction is a, um, it's a kind of a reflection of why I wrote the book, but also um, a reflection on um, my experience as a um, Hmong American college student um, at my undergraduate um, institution, UW Eau Claire. So um, I won't spend too much time talking about it, but if y'all are interested, uh, the book is on the Heart Publisher um, website, which I can, I can share that link. Um, but I heard, I was, I was just told that it's actually sold out right now. Um, <laughs> so this is the second time it's sold out. So I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that they'll have it back in stock soon. Cause I know a lot of people have been wanting to get some for, um, Christmas gifts. So, um, yeah, so hopefully it'll be back in stock, but yeah. So the book is just a series of poetry, um, thinking about, you know, um, growing up in this, um, you know, cishet, patriarchal, capitalist, um, white supremacist society. But yeah, there's a lot of reflections in there and it's decent stuff, but um, 100% of the um, proceeds that I make from the book um, are being donated to the Critical Home Studies Program at UW-Eau Claire. So yeah, please support the book. <laughs> and I can stop. <laughs> You're so cool. I'm fangirling, I'm fangirling.